I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Shrimp and Sivret Show, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Welcome back, Bobby. Uh, how, uh, how was your weekend? Uh, I, I heard you on the, the Merrick Show. Give me a little more insight about how that came about and, uh, and enlighten everyone on, on what you guys were talking about. Yeah, no, it was a great, great interview. Appreciate Jeff Merrick having me on. Got a chance to go on there and talk about our good friend um, down in Tampa and talk about our podcast. So it was great. It's great to get on there and great to spread the word about the Shrimp and Cigarette Show. Um, so yeah, it's been a busy, busy week. Um, I got my combine camp coming up next week. I got 27 players, 27 kids. I got 22 players, five goalies and elite prospects is going to be streaming it on their YouTube channel. So super excited about that. It's going to be a great opportunity. I kind of set that up for the kids to have a chance to have a kind of a showcase setting. And at the same time, do a, you know, a five-day camp where we can do video, go through the games together, learn, grow, grow as a group, grow individually. And then at the same time, they, gotta, they get a good opportunity to uh, you know, be seen by scouts. So um, be some good people watching. Got some OHL scouts, NHL scouts, USHL, all you name it. I kind of marketed it for these kids. So that's going to – it's sort of serving a purpose because I was asked to, to – uh, help some players out. And I thought this would be the best way to do it. So, uh, excited for that. Getting ready to leave on Friday. We'll be down there and our next podcast, I'll be, I'll be doing it from Bled Slovenia. So beautiful place, um, beautiful setting, and then get some great hockey. in. so they yeah, have been gearing up for that. And, uh, how about yourself? What was, what have you been up to? Uh, freshly turned 37, 37. Yeah. 1985 did- birth. What did you get into for your, for your birthday? Let's hear. Well, we, I th- we got pretty lucky. I think we booked uh, a flight down to Tampa back in January uh, for a couple of days. And it just so happened that the day that we landed uh, Tampa was in New York playing. So we got to see game five while we were in Tampa. Um, obviously from uh, Corey's couch, we were staying at his place for a couple of days. And then, uh, and then we were very fortunate to still be there to, to watch Tampa win it in, in game six. Um, it was, uh, it was an exciting, game, exciting game, uh, that their fan base is, is surprisingly really good. Like for, you know, you wouldn't think Florida as a, as a fan base, but, uh, they're knowledgeable, they're loud. They're obviously, uh, backing, uh, arguably one of the best teams in, in the last couple of decades, uh, having gone back to back and then putting themselves in, in the finals again against Colorado and a, and a chance to go, uh, three in a row, but. Uh, yeah, it was, it was like, it was pretty cool. I, uh, Corey had asked me to stay at his house, 
uh, and like, you know him, how superstitious he is. I, I decided to on game day, I'm going to take off and go back to the hotel, leave, you let, you do your, <laughs> let you do your thing. Um, but it was good. Um, they, they had stayed, they won obviously game five, they stayed over and then flew back. So, uh, we got to go out for dinner, um, on the, the day before the game. And then, uh, I stayed over that night and then, and then left out, uh, in the morning to, to go to the hotel while he, uh, he went to morning skate, but, uh, I yeah, saw you was, got a chance to see, I guess I saw you got a chance to see Davy boy down in Florida, your brother. My bro. Yeah. My brother, my brother came down. Uh, I had a pair of skates I had to give to him. So he came down, we went for lunch. I uh, actually, we went for lunch the day of the game. Uh, we were trying to find him tickets cause it was sort of last minute. We couldn't find any. So he, he just came down and grabbed a pair of skates. We went for lunch and then went home, but, uh, a storm came through while we were there crossing the rink and it, this thing rained forever. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it was, it was broadcasted much on, on TV, but, uh, a lot of the players, uh, live on, in, on Davis Island, which is uh, just a short little drive from, from the rink. Um, or a Sea-Doo, or a Sea-Doo ride. Or a Sea-Doo ride, yeah. And uh, <laughs> they can actually get to the rink by by water if they really wanted to. But uh, it's a low point in in the area, so it, it floods really easily. So the, the roads were like, there was like feet of water in the roads where some of the players, like Hedman, had to call the police to have someone come with a vehicle that's sturdy enough to get through all this water to pick them up just to bring them to the rink because it was, <laughs> it was like watered in or whatever you want to call it. But, um, but yeah, that the storm was, was pretty crazy. It was, uh, it, it almost felt like you were in a bit of a hurricane, like it was windy, their downpour, um, the parking garages were all flooding, like people trying to get to their cars, which we had to get to our car after, uh, after lunch. So we, it was like, you know, halfway up, up your calf. Like it was, it was pretty deep. They did the, the, the storm had stopped uh, an hour or two before uh, the gates opened. So it wasn't like people were standing out in the rain and then having to come into, uh, into a colder rink, but. Well, that's uh, the I thing pretty... they have a big section outside for the, where they party and, 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 you know, between those buildings. So that's, that's kind of like a big part of the atmosphere too. Right. It's like kind of that's going on outside as well. And, and people jam out there kind of, I mean, all the teams seem to have that now, Yeah, uh, but they, but they, again, Florida has a surprisingly good audience for that too. Right. Like, you, you know, that your, your traditional hockey markets are going to do well there, but they, they jam that as well. Right. There's a, there's a pretty good loyal following. And then uh, I actually sat beside Blink Gabbert, uh, who's a quarterback backup quarterback for the, the box. Um, but uh, was drafted by the the Jaguars and and jumped around from team to team, but uh, it was it was cool to sit beside him because obviously a, a, another athlete, uh, not his realm being in hockey, but a diehard hockey fan. Like he knew he had, hangs around with a bunch of the players. He's an '89 birth, um, so he's right in that sort of wheelhouse for a lot of that age group, and uh, you know knew the ins and outs of all the players. He asked me some things, you know that. Uh, we're sort of higher level thinking as far as transition from football to, to hockey. He was asked a little, a little bit about icing or, or some of the, some of the complexities with delayed offsides, things like that, that he probably just has a fan watches, but doesn't really have anyone to ask. Um, but it was, it was cool. Um, he uh, was really passionate. You could tell he hangs around with the players quite often because we were sitting in the section with, with all the the wives and the kids and uh, some of the kids would sort of just crawl over to him and he'd just be holding them. Like, uh, like he seemed pretty comfortable with, with the gathering, but yeah. it was, a, it was a, a good atmosphere. Um, the game itself was, was pretty intense. 
Uh, I, I like the way both teams played. Like both goaltenders were unbelievable again. Uh, there was a lot of energy in the building. Obviously, I was fortunate enough to see Tampa. Or I wanted obviously Tampa to win because of Corey, and then being there was was really cool to see them present the uh, the trophy. And um, I thought it was unique because um, they, when I think it's Bill Daly came out with the uh, with the um, Eastern Conference Championship trophy. Uh, usually the captain comes over and takes a picture. And in the last couple of years, uh, Stamkos has brought along his assistants. Uh, to take the picture with them. And Corey is one of their assistants. And I sort of was watching him as this was unfolding a bit. And he was sort of going over and I couldn't tell what he was saying, obviously, because I was in the stands, but he was sort of alluding to something with a bunch of the players. And then they started to go to the, uh, the to the trophy and Cooper sort of like pushed him like, what do you like, get over there. And he just like, you know, Corey his can't do that. So <laughs> I asked him afterwards and I thought it was pretty cool. He's like, you know what? He's like in the dressing room, you guys have two pictures of them winning the two previous years. And it's the same four guys in the picture. He's like, I don't want to, even though I'm an assistant, I, you guys, that's, you guys do it again. And he's like, I'll hopefully I'll take a picture with the next bigger one. But uh, no, I just thought that was, that was pretty cool. But you know, him and his, him and his superstitions, like um, I left the house obviously. Cause I, you know, he was like, no, no, stay. I'm like, no, nah, I don't, you, I don't know what, like how many doors you got to touch on the way to bed or what you got to, <laughs> you know, you know, I'm just getting out of your hair. Um, but I thought it was funny because it's literally like a monsoon outside and uh, his, his son, Griffin, they always do like a little handshake just before he goes. Right. And, and then uh, Griffin, uh, his four-year-old son will walk him out to the car. He'll hop in the car and leave. And I guess, uh, I don't know Corey would obviously know better, but I guess one of the games, it must've been a home game where he sort of ran down the street after him a bit, like on the sidewalk, like following the car. And Corey had asked him to do it again, but it's like a monsoon outside. <laughs> like that's how, yeah. this is how superstitious he is. He's like trying to get his four-year-old to like run out in a monsoon, like in in like two feet deep of water, just just because he's done it before and probably had a good game because of it. But uh, yeah, no, it was it was a it was a good game, uh, good finish. I I loved going down there. Um, it was a really cool atmosphere. We stayed at the JW Marriott right across from the, the rink. It's a, a fairly newer uh, facility. And I think that's where most of the road teams uh, come in. But uh, after the game, uh, we went to uh, a little spot in Davis Island. I think that's sort of their little dive watering hole. There's about six or seven guys on the, on the island. So uh, the, the island's unique because they, they all have, everyone has a golf cart, not just the players, but like, other people who are on the yeah island, and they just yeah. cart everywhere like on the it's awesome yeah it's it's, it's awesome. it's really really different really cool. but it's a obviously a higher class um area like when we were driving in they're like oh that's there's jeter's place there's oh that's brady's place and there i'm like holy cow like oh oh within it's it's not a the biggest island in the world but it was really cool to be able to go um to their little watering hole and obviously the, everyone there were all fans but they the players were there with their wives and, and um, I guess friends and family came as well, but the, the fan base just sort of allowed the players to just be human. You know, some, some, some places it could probably get overwhelmed and, you know, they're trying to get pictures and all, all of that, but they just allowed them, you know, congrats guys. Like they would bring over like a case of beer and congrats guys. And then let them be. I thought that was really cool. Like it's, yeah, I don't think you would get that in, in, 
Toronto or or Edmonton or or like hockey crazy if you're, city. If you're a Connor, if you're a Connor McDavid, last weekend. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're gonna like, which which allows uh, you know it allows the players crazy. just to to be themselves, right? And and it made everyone seem seem and feel comfortable because you're not having to look over like, oh, is someone filming me while I drank this Bud Light or you know like it it was it was uh it was a pretty cool setting I think it was just a small little spot but I, I it, it seemed like the, the players had a lot of respect from the fan base and vice versa I think the fans get a lot of respect from the players and just allowed them to be them it, and it was it was really cool yeah it's awesome I think it's it's hard to find that combination like you said the fans there are unbelievable it's like super uh, energetic pretty knowledgeable there's a lot of snowbirds that come down there and live and, and obviously know the game of hockey but their, their fan base is unbelievable because i mean you go over to the other side of florida panthers like it's not the same is it not even close this year they had a you know good good season and started to pick up but like not not even comparable to to tampa bay the fan base is awesome and then the part where you're talking about the you know kind of privacy and being able to live your life it's it's amazing for those guys i think that's a it's a great combination yeah the, the that place is awesome. It would really, it's been awesome for a long time. You know, uh, I remember going down there with the Islanders first time down there. That's my first impression. I, I thought it was just going to be like empty seats and nobody gave a crap, but the game, the building was packed. Uh, we weren't a uh, top end team by any means in the Island. So it was kind of, you wouldn't expect it to be, see a full building per se, but it was packed. The fans were awesome. Um, yeah, it was really cool. But then also there was another, t- uh, maybe I should save that story, but we, the teammate and I were a healthy scratch uh, one night and we weren't going to play the next day. So the, the night before the game, they had arena football or no, sorry, it wasn't arena football. It was lingerie football uh, yeah. the night before. So we attended that and just to check it out and see the athletes and check it out. And then the, uh, the fan support for that sporting event was, was pretty, was pretty electric as well. So big sports fans, big sports community down there and guys that get to play. there are very, very, very lucky. Great weather. Like you said, you get to be your own person. You're not like uh, on a showcase, so to speak. Uh, does that make sense? Showcase? Yeah. Like a, no, no. Yeah. Like you're it, like a wax museum. I, you know, and, I, and and like for me, when we were driving by like Brady, like Jeter's place and Brady's place, I'm like, did you guys ever see them? And like, oh, yeah. Like I see that. I see them like walking. And I'm like, that's like, you know, what I mean? like it's just something you just don't think of, like just walking down the street. Oh, there's Brady and Giselle and their dogs. Yeah. You know, like it was that. Yeah, it's it's a cool spot, but yeah, they, all the players they they back on the water. Most of them have boats or jet skis or something. So, uh, and I and I think it it almost reminded me of like how we were in junior. Like we were always together, and yeah. a lot of the a lot of the guys they, they are a lot closer than most other teams. At least the ones that I would have played on, where you sort of just you know after practice you go back to the rank, and maybe if you have plans you do something with another guy for lunch or dinner or whatever. But it, it seems like these guys are, are really close. Like they're, they're over at one other's place, whether it's taking one of the kids over to play with the other, you know, another teammate's child, or they go grab lunch or coffee or dinner. It just seems like it's a really close group. And, and it, it, I mean, it could speak to their success over the last two years. And, and thus far, right. Is that that close knit feel of, of a team that, seems to propel you obviously they're they're talented players but uh they seem to have something else you know a different element that just they're just always there right but it, it was a, it was a really cool experience i i, I really enjoyed 
uh, going down again, I got pretty lucky with, with what my timing was. Um, and, uh, and then this, this week, my, my brother, uh, for my birthday was yesterday. And so my brother got, uh, tickets to the F1, uh, race in Montreal. So, uh, I'm heading there for the, the weekend to, to watch the, the practice qualifying and, and then the Sick. race. So there'll be, a, I'm sure I'll run into a couple other hockey guys down there, but, uh, I'm looking forward to that. I've never been to a, an F1 event. I used to go to NASCAR and, and NHRA like drag racing, but, uh, I've never been to a, an F1 event, so it should be pretty cool. I've never been to a NASCAR. That's kind of, I've heard a lot of stories. Obviously it's, it's like a, it's an unbelievable party. No, what, what is it? What's the experience? Na- teed up NASCAR? Yeah, yeah. Na- NASCAR for sure. Like you're just, you're literally sitting there watching cars go around in a circle for a long period of time. Right. But, um, I, I was fortunate. My, my older brother, the one that lives in Florida, uh, he became buddies with uh, a guy who I think did the PR for, for NASCAR. So we ended up going to, we used to go to the Daytona 500 all the time as a, as a family when we were younger. And then once I got to a certain point in, in hockey, probably I was 12 or 13, we sort of stopped vacationing and just spent, you know, more time in my summer training and, and, uh, taking hockey a little more serious. But, uh, my brother, uh, actually brought us to the Pepsi. I think it was a Pepsi 400 or Coca-Cola 400, uh, obviously one of the two, and it was in Daytona and his buddy got us like all access, everything. So we were like in the driver's meeting where that before the game or before the race, they come in and, and they go over the rules and obviously higher level stuff that I didn't really understand. But then we got to do like a drive around too, which was like, I I've never seen that you, when you're driving down the straightaway and then you like are coming to the corner in the car, it looks like you're driving into a wall. Like, because the banking is so big that it looks like you're just driving straight into a wall. And then by the time you start going up, it's like pulling you down into your seat. Like it was, uh, and we were going like, I think two, 200 or 180, which is like ridiculously fast. And my, but like, it didn't seem it when you're out there, but if I would have known, I probably would have been a little more <laughs> intimidated, but, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a cool experience. Like obviously, uh, I was old enough to, to drink at the time. So I think I was with, with Philly might've been in like 2008 or nine, 2009, maybe, but um, yeah, we, we had like a bucket of beers that we would just put at the top of the banking and, and pre- obviously well before the race. And it would, the, because it's so degreed, it would just slide all the way to like the bucket of beer would just slide right to the bottom. Like that's how big these bankings are, but, but yeah, so I've never been to a, uh, formula one, I heard it's a little different because the cars are obviously faster and you're just sort of watching them whiz by, you know, in milliseconds. But I, I did hear that it's a, a pretty cool event to, to be at. Yeah. I've been, I went to one in Edmonton actually. Um, they, yeah, they had it up there in Edmonton and I remember, I think it's, uh, we were at Daryl Cates' house after a team event. We all went there for kind of like after training camp. And I remember standing on the kitchen, uh, Gene Simmons was there. Um, pretty cool experience, obviously. And then there was another gentleman standing next to me and he started talking about racing a little bit. And I, I kind of like almost an idiot, like took over the conversation and started talking about like a Swiggo Speedway in upstate New York and super modified to know that you've grown to these races. And, and then I, I mean, eventually at one point I'm like, are you into, are you into racing? And it was Mario Andretti. And I had no idea who I was talking to. And like, I remember I said that and like 
five guys looked at me like you idiot and i was like what, <laughs> I was like, what? you know kind of off to talk about a swiggle speedway that's like everybody wanted to hear what he had to say and here comes bob just take it over just yeah, take it over go. talking about the super modifieds the uh classics of the swiggle speedway but no it's it's it was pretty cool. The experience was, it was great. Actually the, the biggest draw with jeans with Gene was walking around the stands and the place went nuts or chasing him around. Uh, but the cars were really cool. The event was awesome. And, and to see that, you know, that event, it was, it was neat. It was definitely, and definitely a step up from, from a Swiggle Speedway. <laughs> a little bit higher class. Uh, but it was funny. Yeah. So, it's, it, it'll be, a, it'll be a cool experience. And then um, the other thing I was, I was going to say is, um, did you see our boy Beebs? He's getting a lot of attention with the, with Tim Hortons here. He's got his own like line out now, but, uh, did you see his, his face? Like, because yeah, I a- thought of you instantly. Yeah. That's you had some, yeah. Some of this, uh, I can't remember the name of the, the symptom. Yeah. You can talk about it more, but what, yeah, what, no. is, what is this? Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's called Ramsey hunt and it's actually like shingles that attack or attack behind your, your ear, like the nervous system. And it, um, it pretty much like gives you like, like paralyzation in one, like half your face. And so that's what Bieber has. Like when you're, when he was talking, he couldn't blink because he just has no control over the one side of his face, which obviously made him cancel his, his tour. But, um, I actually got this in, in Philly in the playoffs when I think it was 2010, 11, we were playing in Buffalo and we landed. Um, we went, uh, we, I think we practiced in Philly and then we flew to Buffalo landed, had dinner at the hotel. And then I went back to my room and, and it felt like, you know, when you get stitches in your, in like in your lip or your, or you get freezing in your teeth or yeah. in your mouth, sorry, but to get your teeth done, how it sort of has that like slight numbing for a little bit, like tingling. And then it like obviously freezes. I went back to my hotel room and I'm like, this is weird. My face is like starting to do that tingling. Like I'm feeling tingly all over the place. So I, I, um, I waited a little bit and just sort of messaged our, uh, our medical trainer and said, do you mind coming up? Like, I don't know what's going on, but it feels like I have freezing in my face. Right. And then by the time he came up, like I couldn't, like he'd asked me to do a couple of things like exercises and I couldn't like blow, like my lips, I had no control of my, my one side of my lips. So I couldn't actually like seal my, my mouth to make like a, like a puffer, like a puffer fish motion. And so then he was like, then he started to look around and, and was like, man, I, this is like a sh- shingles. And we, anyways, it, it totally like you can't close your eye. So like I had to sleep, I had to sleep by like face down, but I had to close my one eye and then jam my face into the pillow or else if I didn't, like I just was constantly like, like staring, right? Like there's no way of closing my eyes. So that's why like, when you look at uh, the, the video of Bieber, he, he sometimes like rolls his one eye up. It's because your eye is so dry and it doesn't get any moisture, like with the blinking that if you roll it up, it's sort of like still wet up in the upper eyelid. So that's why he's, he's sort of like getting relief from his, uh, from his eye. But, um, but yeah, no, like, and, and I was like, you know, me, I was pretty cool, calm, like calm vanilla type player, like nothing really phased me, but obviously, um, I'm in the playoffs 
uh, as a fairly young player, you know, trying to make his mark in the NHL or get his foot in, uh, in the door. And so obviously stress plays a massive a part of, of, oh, it's, it's the biggest factor of Ramsey hunt syndrome. That's what it is. It's just stress. But, um, so I guess what I wanted to talk about is, is like stress in hockey. Like for me, I, I, little did I know, but I would have probably been so stressed out in the playoffs because you're under a microscope, right? Like, like for me, I'm, I'm a, a defenseman trying to, you know, break into the NHL or stay there full time. And then now all of a sudden you get into the playoffs and you're like, okay, now half the teams are gone. So now you're being watched closer and the games matter a lot more. And you just put all this stress on yourself to, to perform because if you, you know, make one mistake, it could end up in the back of your net and that could be the end of your playoff experience on the ice. Right. Um, but yeah, just, I just wanted to talk a little bit about like the stresses that, that go on that, that maybe the fan doesn't really understand, uh, where, and now that we're heading into the finals, like you're at the, the pinnacle of, of hockey right now, there's two teams. One, one is going to be a Stanley cup champion and the other's not going to be right. And there's just so much like, whether it's, you know, friends and family coming in or orchestrating flights. I know, I know teams have, uh, people set aside to, to do all these things in, in help booking hotels and flights and tickets and all that. But like, these are all things that as a, as a fan watching, we don't really, you know, maybe your kid's sick or maybe there, there, there's all kinds of things that, that play a part in, in their life. And then you add on the element of they have to not make a mistake essentially, or that's the mentality that you have to have is like, I make a mistake. It could be in, a, in the back of my net. Right. So I just wanted to sort of touch on the stresses of, of hockey. You can elaborate on the, uh, the stresses that maybe you have had or, or your teammates, you've seen some guys that, but it's, 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 I guess it's hard to control that. And I, and I don't know. I, I mean, I, I seemed as though I was pretty calm and cool and collected, but I somehow got the Ramsey hunt, which, uh, you know, still has sort of lasting effects on, on, uh, the nerves in my, in my face, but. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it is, it's such a stressful, it's a stressful game. Um, so many factors, I think, and I think this is huge. And this is part of the game that I, I really enjoy seeing the development of it. Um, the mental preparation, the mental health aspect of, of sport in general, I think it's super important. Um, I think it probably in our era, you know, not to say that we're like 50 or something, but still we're 35, 36, 37, whatever. You just turned 37. I don't want to bring that up too hard. Yeah, no. I, as you long know, as you say your birth year, I, I'm like, I'm always an 85. 85. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm always an 85. I think that that time was a little bit more like bury it, just get past it, suck it up, you know, still that kind of era. It's, it's changing now where it's more like, you know, some of the stuff is, is there's, there's more resources now to, to help, to support on an individual basis. And if you have some troubles, some issues coping or dealing or figuring out your shit, there's people there to support it and say, you know, it's not that you're weak. It's more, here's how we can make a game plan and build you back up. I I like that. I like that a lot. And I think a lot of people are coming around to it and accepting it. And it's not weakness. It's, it's part of it because there's so much, you know, you're talking about, you know, playoffs and 
tickets and flights and stuff like that. There's other variables that we went through ourselves, like trying to make it, trying to go to training camp, like training camps were so stressful for me because I had no idea where I stood, how, what I needed to do in some regard, or like what it was going to take just couldn't figure it out. And it was, it, it eat me up all day. It's all I could think about drove me nuts, you know, being down in the minors, not knowing exactly what it would take to get up there or wanting to be there and, and that sort of thing. And, and the struggle of not being there, there's, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of emotion and a lot of it gets swept because also, the other thing is too, the season gets busy and you got to figure out a way to just carry on. So eventually it, it does come to a boil for some people. Um, for you, I mean, you're a super, you know, very laid back guy and, things seem to bounce off, but it, like, there's a lot of ad up there, you know, there's a lot of mm -hmm. grudge, uh, drudge that fills up. So it's not a, I mean, it's terrible that I, it's, it's awful that it happened, but it's not also not a surprise, so to speak, being a friend of yours. Uh, and if you're again, for me personally, like I'd say like my last year in, in uh, the minor system, like I, I was in such a bad place mentally as it was, I almost didn't want to play hockey anymore. Like that's the biggest thing in my life. The thing I care about the most. And it, it got to such all the you know, sort of mental side of it was such a buildup. Like I literally didn't want to play the next year. I wound up being a full-time NHL or New York, you know, New York Islanders. So um, point being is that it, it's, it's good to see that things are changing in some regard or, or there's new resources for the players and, you know, some might call it coddling, but I, I, I don't see it that way. I see, I think it's super important. The mental side of it is huge. Your confidence level, the way you're dealing with things, how you deal with things, your game plan and preparation, this is all mental stuff that, that needs just like your reps on the power player reps on the blue line as a D man, like this stuff all needs reps. And I think it's great the way it's going. So um, I could have used it personally. I know that going back, I, I had, you know, towards the end of my career, I got to see a guy named Paul Henry. He was awesome. He's super supportive and, and did a great job in helping build my confidence back up and build me up as a person. These sort of people, you know, go a long way, call them mentors, whatever psychologists, uh, there's different names for them, you know, mental toughness coaches. I think they're super important. So um, anybody listening, I think it's something you should add even early on, even if there's not signs of a player breaking down or meeting that end point where they're like lost. I think even in the beginning, you see 12, 13, 14 year old kids having that already be part of their development to get to where they want to go. Cause you go like that, you go 12, 13, 14, 15, and then 16 for some you're jumping into junior, which is kind of jumping into a, you know, a big tank. And there's so many different factors there when you get to major junior or USHL or these, these junior leagues, it's a, you know, it's a fast moving sort of pace and you can get lost in it for sure. So having a game plan and looking after your mental preparation, your mental health, I think is super important and dealing with that stress. Uh, we probably, you know, for me personally, definitely like instead of dealing with it, maybe, you know, go, oh, just go have, see the guys and hang out with the guys and have a couple of pops and forget about it. It'll be fine tomorrow. Like it's not really how it works. You know, it creeps up. So nipping the stuff in the bud is really important for players and not letting it build up and, and taking advantage of again, the, the new resources that are starting to kick up and, you know, you see it all over the place and it's social media and people that are in that space are, are awesome. And, I personally, a company named Same here, they were a big support for me, helped me with, with dealing with this stuff too and talking about it and trying to help other athletes kind of almost admit it, you know, again, that, that's the biggest thing is, is almost admitting it. Cause it seems, it seemed like, again, in our era, it was like, almost like you were admitting to be weak, but uh, it's, it's the exact opposite. So, um, sorry for the long story long, but I think you know, it's really important. I, and, and I, I, there are players that I've, you know, young players that I've talked to, um, that are looking for advice and, and help. And, 
Uh, and yeah, I, I think it's, uh, sometimes you forget that like, this is just a sport, you know, like there's a lot bigger things in, in life. And in, in the moment you think hockey's the, the only thing that I got. Right. But then like speaking from experience, having retired and starting a business and having a family, like it's, it's not, but, but it's hard for me to accept that when I'm, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. So it's like, this is the end of the world. If things don't work out for me in hockey, it's really not right. But for, for me, the, the, the Ramsey hunt aspect that sort of paralyzed my face, the hardest part for me was that because I couldn't blink, like my eye would just get so watery when I'm out on the ice. Right. Cause like you're just getting wind whistling through your, like through your visor. And like, I just remember being like, trying, I can't, I can't blink. So it's just like pooling of water that it's like, now it's just like tearing because it's, I can't even blink to get the tear why, out. So just, why so, were you playing? Why were you playing? Cause I had to, I was, I'm a young guy trying, like, you kidding me? I'm in the play. I'm in the playoffs. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, an up but and down. I know I understand the answer type. But in, in reality, like, kind of to attach what you just said a minute ago about like being retired and family man and businessman realizing from that hindsight that it's not, it's also like in this moment, like when you're going through something like that, why are you playing? And it's different in the U S I'll be honest with you in Europe. It's like, I remember one in my first year in Sweden, a teammate of mine was out. He'd been out for a day. Then it was two days. It was, I get to like the third or fourth day. And I was like, Hey, what's wrong with, with Nicholas? Like, oh, he's got a, a, an infection, a blood infection. I'm like, what's oh, Jesus? I'm like, is he like hospital? Is he all right? He's like, no, 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 no. Like nose and uh, throat. I'm like, oh, he's got a cold. They're like, yeah. <laughs> and to me, that was a shock. Cause for us back, like you're playing with a freaking eye that doesn't close <laughs> and expected, almost expected to like in Europe, it's just a little bit more like looking after the human per being. Yeah. That's really what's it's, important. Like, yeah, no, you're right. But, it, but also when you're in that, like, looking at the finals here, right? Like you got Kadri with a broken thumb. Um, you got point. who has been out. I know uh, a bunch of other players are playing with injuries that will come out when the series is over, but these are guys where it's like, this is, you know, sort of maybe once in a lifetime I can win it. I have to play with a, you know, dislocated something or broken something or, you know what I mean? Like I, I know, and I think that's just sort of our mentality. So like for me, like I, I didn't realize that the stress was eating at me, like literally that until I got that, but at the time, like it didn't really hamper my ability to, to play. It just, it just sort of exemplified how much stress I had been enduring, you know, like the hardest part was trying to not cry on the ice because the water, the, the wind's just whistling into your <laughs> wide open eyeball. Like and then, and then for a league and, of their own, is it for the league of their own? And Tom, hey, are you crying? Yeah. Are you like, crying? There's every time I come back to the bench, I'm, tearing, I'm dripping, but, um, but yeah. And then the sleeping aspect, but, um, but what about like, so, so you had said you, you, you know, you were close to being, I'm, I don't like hockey. I don't want to do this anymore. And then you became an Islander, right. Which you were like, their like shootout specialist. Right. Like, yeah. like you, you, they wouldn't, you wouldn't play a minute of OT and then all of a sudden it gets in a shootout. Like, okay, we got to win the game. Rob, get out there. Like how, how <laughs> I, like, talk about stress, like, you know what I mean? Like it was great. It was actually, you're right. It was nuts. I, I didn't play like in the beginning when I started getting those shootouts, like there was the, the, the second first, yeah. First and second shootouts that I went there, 
I didn't touch the ice from halfway through the second period. It was a one-one game tie game. They didn't think they thought I was a liability. Didn't touch the ice from halfway through the second period to the rest of the game. And then the shootout came and the coach was like, Hey, shrimp, go get warm. When they, they used to do the ice. The Zamboni's doing the ice. And I'm out there like getting a feel for the ice again. Getting <laughs> set of ice. Like I was like, oh my God, like I'm ice cold, man. Like ice cold. And this is the toughest thing to do in the shootouts. It's like get an NHL goalie, like beat an NHL, get him. It's you and him one on one to try to burn him. Yeah, it was really stressful. It was, it was like I played it cool and calm, but in underneath the surface, man, I was like, I was yeah, panicking. I was like, oh yeah, I didn't know what to do. Like I did, yeah, my hands were cold, my feet were like literally cold. <laughs> like not the term, like they were cold from sitting there that long. But it was tough to do. And then um, you know, in the and then also there was a little bit like the other thing is like for me, it's in my head, I'm like, man, I can't touch the ice for like, you know, 10, 20, talking about 35 plus minutes of hockey. I can't play but I can go in like the most skilled thing you can kind of do in hockey is like one-on-one with a goalie. It just, you know what I mean? That's also like, wait, stop thinking about that. I got to go. It's like, it's like, it was tough. It was, but then it gave me for me, then I finally started, I, you know, I scored on them. So I was like, okay, now I got a spot. It gave me a a spot on the team and we had a lot of ties. We've got a lot of shootouts. So it gave me a purpose on the team. But it was tough to do. I mean, the first couple, honestly, the first three, I think it was two or three, it was like I played very minimum minutes and then jumped into that and, you know, executed. It was such a relief to score, to be honest with you. I, I wasn't coming down there like, I am the man, I'm the man. I'm coming down like, oh, shit, oh, shit, I don't really feel the puck. Okay, oh, there's a hole. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's tough. And getting called to the, you know, called to the front like that, spotlight put on, and you don't know what's going to happen. It's that could go the wrong way, man. Imagine coming down and like totally losing the puck or to go to take a shot, dump in the corner. Like there's, you know, so many things that can go wrong there. Uh, not being fresh, not being warm. And yeah, it was, it was tough. But again, once then it became a norm normalcy or normality and I got used to it and was just kind of like, you know, if the game was tight, I'd be like, okay, just stay focused. Like, you know, probably not going to play. Just don't worry about it. Who cares? Just get ready for the shootout. And that was kind of the model. Is this, is this like, are, were there like questions you had like to your your agent i guess that that would give you an answer as to certain things like that like why like why can i be in the most pressure situation and having a score but yet i don't play the last x minutes of the game and don't touch ot which is a highly skilled setting right like did your yeah. did you th- th- is that something like an agent needs to like what does your agent need to get involved, like say something or find out what, or. I don't know, man. Like at that point in my career, I was just like happy to be there. Just shut up. Just happy to be there. You know, like, you know, that wasn't going that well. The first four years of my career I played seven games in the show. So finally like being there, I, I didn't, I was like, okay, this is just how it is. Just, you know, shut up and, and do it and show up when you have to. And when you're asked to, I didn't really have any like pushback. You know, I didn't know what to do. I really didn't know how to react or like, you know, I didn't want to seem like I was bitching and getting the next me, you know, I'm sent down to the minors and kind of scared a little bit, you know, but that didn't really make sense like at all. But um, there was no answers. And then, you know, I actually went up using a mentor. I, I've talked about him before, Brad Wheeler. He started watching my game because I was kind of, I needed answers a little bit. Like what's going on? Like, am I that bad? 
and he started watching my film and he's like, you're playing good. Like take your film into the coach and ask, like have him explain to you why you're not playing. Cause you're not playing bad. Like, you're not doing anything. You're not risking. You're not cheating. You're playing right. Playing help hockey, not hope hockey, playing really good hockey. I don't, I don't know why your ice is getting cut. So I, I went to him for answers and, and then I went in the coach and brought my shifts and, and he's like, oh, you, you are playing pretty good. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, hey, no, thanks. That's great. Can I get a couple more minutes? Or at least a couple more minutes right before the shootout? That'd be great. But, you know, that was that's kind of how it went. So, um, yeah, that was tricky. It was like a fine line to walk. You know what I mean? I didn't want to be a, a bitch or a complainer. Um, but it's tough to be thrown into that pressure cooker. <laughs> it's not easy. Yeah. And, and you wanted to touch on, like, would he be – would brad wheeler be considered like an advisor for you or or like i know all these t i know i know how agencies or they start out as family advisors i know they're i think they're they're growing more and more whether there's help with financials or mental or off ice or skills like i think a lot of them have their own you know coordination with skills person that travels around and sees their players but you might know yeah. more in depth with your, the players you're talking with. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting topic. Um, you know, family advisors and, and, and wheels would be what I consider a mentor. And I think, you know, the family advisor roles has come prominent in the game now. And it's a little bit different than when we were coming up. Um, you know, I, I'd met, you know, when I was younger, I, I met with every agency when I was a young kid, I was kind of. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from everything iconic, ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget. Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I accelerated fast. I was yeah, 12 years old. Yeah. I made a video at Gretzky and when I was 12 and met their agency, IMG with Mike Barnett, Eddie Mio, those groups I met with, I had dinner with Bobby Orr when I was 13 years old. So, I mean, I met that, but that was a little bit different than then back then. Now it's like, there's a whole section of family advisors that it's coming through. Like I got like 15 year old kids that I work with as mentor and they're like, should I get a family advisor? Everybody seems to have one. But I think it's more like really important that like, what does that, what does that mean? What, what are you looking to get out of that? Just to slap a tab, like a tag on like, oh yeah, I have a family advisor. 
I, I don't, I just be wary, you know, the families to be wary of that. Like what, what is that family advisor going to do for your player? And I think that role and that name family advisor is, is I'd like to say more of like a mentor and what, how they're going to help the development of the kid instead of, you know, like, like I said, I, I worry about the youth players trying to keep up with the Joneses and just getting one to get one. And I think if you're a family advisor, then it's also important, obviously, that what you're offering, what your services are, is something along the lines of, of a mentorship and helping a player grow and not just getting a player placed, you know, because that's totally different. You know, believing in somebody, mentoring them, watching their growth, watching them develop, helping them develop is much different than picking up a phone, calling a buddy, say, hey, can you take this kid? And then there's a price tag to it. Like, that's a much different scenario. And I think it's important that that, you know, those lines get drawn. If you're a parent, like who you bring in, you know, what do you, what's the purpose of hiring that uh, asset, so to speak. And again, that's my, my view on it. It should be, I don't mind. I don't mind the lane because the game is, you know, much more serious. There's much more at stake as far as when you get to the NHL and the business side of it. And everybody wants to get there. It's very tough to get there. So to have some answers, have some mentorship uh, for both the player and the parent, I think it is important because you can kind of, you can be lost. I know my family, like my dad didn't play hockey. He didn't have the answers. My dad just supported me, showed up at the games and was an, was an amazing dad. And, and then he wasn't a hockey guy, you know, he's just like, okay, hey, Robbie enjoys it. He shows up. He loves it. He's got passion for it. I'll support it kind of thing. He didn't have answers to, to, you know, these questions and being a first overall draft pick, it just happened for my play. It wasn't like by maneuvering moves and going to this team and, you know, that team and you know, at a young age, even at 14, 15 years old, I was getting flying in for USHL teams to come recruit me and, you know, the U S national team development program, they were bringing me out, trying to get me to come out there. And it was all like, it came down to the end of my dad was like, what do you want to do? Kind of thing. It was never forced. Uh, he didn't have the answers was what I'm trying to get at. Um, so having mentorship for parents to give them good, good advice, I think is important. You know, parents need that because also the game can be a little bit vicious. Like some, sometimes people aren't really giving you advice. They're kind of trying to steer you down the wrong way, down a one way road, <laughs> what they're telling you. And they want you to take the shine away from their kid. So having somebody that's there to support and believe in the player and again, watch the development, I think it's helpful, but I just be, I want to bring it up as a topic and, and bring it to the table in the sense of what, what to look for, what you should expect and you know, what the advisor should be given in some regard. And there's some great ones out there. I've seen a bunch and I've met a bunch that are doing a great job. And, I, and I've also seen some that are, are just, you know, they got a hundred kids on a list and they're just sending that list out and take, take one of them. And then, you know, they get a premium. So it's a little bit tricky. Um, so I, I, I'll ask you what would make someone a good advisor? Like if, like I, I coach kids that are draft eligible in, in the OHL and I know that there's always advisors or agents, whatever you want to call them that are, that are at games trying to, you know, can you, we're, we're so-and-so's parents. We're so, like hunting the players down a little bit, like, and, and obviously at some point the, the parent and player need to make, they don't need to, but they will make a decision. So what, what is your advice to the parent or player in that setting where you're getting approached by a bunch of people and you're like, well, I don't even really know anything about this. Like what's your, what's your advice to that parent? I think it's important not to be a deer in headlights. And I think it's important to keep your focus on what's important, which is the player and your son or your daughter, uh, you know, what's best and, and not be awestruck by 
by interest. You get to still use common sense and and listen to the words that the people are saying. I think that that happens. I know it was for us even coming up, like agents are bringing us to dinner, just like, oh my God, you know, it's it's bizarre to us. My dad was a factory worker and you know, my mom worked two jobs from to, to have this interest was like it's awestruck. Is that the right word? Awestruck for us. It was and I think that happens now too. It's like that interest kind of throws people off. I think it's really important again to like keep the focus and understand what the words that are coming out of the person's mouth, paying attention to the chemistry. And if, if the, you know, they care about the kid and what their intentions are and what their game plan is really uh, for the player um, and do the process of it. It doesn't have to be a quick decision. I think you should, you know, definitely what's the best scenario. I don't know if there is one per se, there's no exact blueprint, you know, but for me, like meeting people and, um, feeding off the energy and seeing what they think about, you know, what they believe or what they see for the future and what that map looks like. So Sharmi, let me ask you this. What, what would make a good agent? Like you're getting, I, I'm coaching kids that are draft eligible for the OHL and there's lots of them in the stands that are trying to find mom and dad to go over and talk to some have multiple agents or advisors approaching them. Like, like what advice are you giving to that parent or player on who, who do you ultimately go with? If any. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's important for the, for the families to, to listen to what's being said and, you know, process the information process, what the person's saying before jumping in and getting, you know, overexcited because someone has interest in their player. Um, again, sometimes people don't have the best of intentions. I think it's important to do a little bit of process and, and you know, be patient with it because there's no rush. You don't have to rush into something. And, you know, the, the, I'm sure you've seen it too through your career, Danny, like get guys on your team, like my agent won't answer my call. They've not even like, I haven't talked to him in so long and, and that sort of thing. Like, I think that's a tough part that's, that's kind of sad to see, you know, a player that needs help and, and is just getting kind of stonewalled or no answers. I think that's, that's tough to see. Uh, I think for young kids, it's, it's with the advisors and with the agents, it's again, listening to what they have to say, asking them for what their game plan would be for their player and what that looks like and, and what the map to in their mind to success looks like and how they're going to get there and, look after the kid and then hold, holding that accountability. At the end of the day, if you don't like what, you know, what you see or what's going on, then, and you can always, you know, go to another service. That's the truth. So that's, um, that's really important to understand as well. Um, if you guys get together as a parent, you got a 16 year old kid again with the advisor, you get a roadmap and we're going to put it out and we're going to stick to it. And, that, that, you know, the advisor should be, again, mentoring that player through that map and, and through that journey. And, you know, they're not going to be there. I don't think it's fair to say that just because he's an advisor or the advisor, you know, signs on that they got to be there 24-7. But you also can't have, you know, stints where you don't talk to them for seven, eight months if there's tough times and you need answers, you need help with something. I think that's, again, that's what that person's there for is, is to kind of give support, mentorship, and guidance. So. Can you get I mean, drafted? What, with, can you get drafted without an agent? It's a good question. I, I I don't know the answer to that. I don't have the answer. Can you? You can. I'm just asking. Like, do you need an agent to be 
Oh, I thought you meant like by rules. I was like, I know. Like, <laughs> I never thought about that actually. But I, I just feel like there's so many that are like, oh, who, like you said, it's not keeping up with the Joneses, but who, who oh, they're the so and so. It's like at the end of the day, it's the player that's being scouted, right? Like if your player is out playing the right way and hard and getting noticed, that he doesn't need Don King in the stands promoting him to every scout, you know, like someone's going to watch him and go, oh, this kid can play. I want this kid. Right. Yeah. So I don't think there's a, I'm not trying to say I'm anti-agent by any means, but I just don't think there's an, an immediate rush to try to, like you said, hook onto someone. It's not first come first serve, feel it out. And, and if there's an, you know, an, an organic relationship that you can sort of see that this guy actually cares about my son or daughter and us as people, then I think that's probably a good fit. So yeah. like you, you want, you want someone that's in your corner because they care and not in your corner because your kid's good. And I can maybe make some money off of him in the future. Right. I think that would be my, my advice. And sometimes it's hard to, to decipher who does have good intentions and who maybe does it. But I think at the end of the day, just as many conversations to seeing how much they care about the player and person as an individual. And then, and the advice that they can sort of give to parents. Cause I'm, I'm, I know it's a stressful time in their lives, right? Like there's draft rankings and there's all kinds of lies. Oh, this guy's going to go here. And I heard this guy's going to get, they're going to take this guy in this round. Like there's all kinds of these fibs, like, but the inside track will probably be someone that is in close conversations with a lot of the GMs, which will be an advisor. So I think that would be the most information you could get is like, help me like calm down here and just allow, allow me to be a parent and just watch my child again. Right. Cause I, I know it can, it can really work up uh, a family and, and obviously a player as well, but yeah, I just, I, I don't, I don't know what the, the proper answer is. I, I just, for, for me, I, I, I was approached by a couple and we ended up going with a bigger uh, agency. Uh, I, I do hear stories and I don't know if they're your way or not, or if they even are true where families are paying advisors. And I would not be inclined to do that. Like at the end of the day, your people are going to watch your son. He's, he doesn't need a, a marketing firm to, to be like, you don't need to hire a marketing firm to promote your child. Right. Like he's, I, but I, I just, at the end of the day, like agents make a lot of money when a player turns professionally. And I think as, as hockey continues, I think it should stay that way where you put in the time and effort and resources to try to help Rob shrimp get to the next level where then you know, whatever the percentage is with the agency, 2%, 3%, 4% of your salary, that's normally how it, how it works. That's when you sort of reap the benefits from it. Not, okay, Rob, tell your parents, they owe me this for, for this quarter. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just hope it doesn't go that way where it's a pay for service. Cause it's at the end of the day, you're, you're there to try to get everyone into the position that they, they should be or hope to be in. And, yeah. And you still get benefits from them being in those positions ultimately, but I don't know. The, the a, thing over here, the thing in Europe is it, there's, there's a, there's a need for a bridge 
for information. You know, these kids want to go to NCAA and what, what is the path? What is the route? How to get there? Um, Obviously I think the the players and people in North America are much more uh, informed on what that looks like over here is not so much, right. Uh, They're far away from it and it's not, you know, NCAA hockey doesn't exist really over here in Europe per se, if you know what I mean. Yeah. The kids have to go over there. So there's a lot of like confusion and not understanding of what it, you know, how to be scouted, how to be, you know, admissions and, and all this different information, the cost and the price. And, and what does that look like? Uh, there's a, there's a, you know, definitely a void of information here, um, which I think would serve well to, to educate the people and understand, help them understand there's people here again, they're advising and that's what they're, they're helping their kids get over to the States, get to some USHL teams or null teams, and then eventually, you know, hopefully get into school. Um, yeah, it's really, that's the thing, the information, they don't, they don't have it over here as much. So I do see that fit for that, you know, people helping get eyeballs to the players. And that's really uh, to jump on this conversation. That's why I did, I'm doing my combine camp next week in blood Slovenia. It's to get the chance for these kids to get exposure to the scouts over there. And it's the best way that I can do it. I ran the camp last year for, I was 14 player. I think it was 15 skaters and four goalies. And at the end of it, I had 10 players come to me looking for me to be the advisor. I was like, that's not my role. Like I, I'm a developer and teacher. Like I, I'll call my buddies, but I can't promise you anything. And, it, and we'll see what I can do. So from last year's camp to this year's, I was like, how can I help these kids the best way possible? And that's what I came up with was d- develop a dance floor for them, essentially a combine camp in blood Slovenia. So it's over here in Europe. That's the other thing for them to go over. They got to go to these showcases, um, these showcase weekends that are three, maybe sometimes four games uh, for a USHL team or, or an all team. It's a lot of money for them, you know, to flight over hotel for four, you know, four days and uh, all the costs altogether comes out to, you know, three, $4,000. It's expensive. It's really expensive. Our family wouldn't have not a chance we would have been able to do it. If that was the case for us, we wouldn't have been able to do it literally. Um, so it's, you know, for me, that's trying to provide that for these players and, and open some doors for them, but give them an opportunity to showcase. And that's for me, like I keep getting asked to advise, but I, I, the best I can do is, is that for now is, is open those opportunities for them to, to play well, <laughs> you know, get the right eyeballs to get some good people watching show up. Like you said, um, if you're playing well, you, you can get drafted or picked up by people. You don't need a, need an agent, so to speak. Um, it's your job to show up and play well. So I think that's the other thing too. Some players just think that like people can just up automatically magically open doors for them. I mean, that's not fair either. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter who your network is in that regard. If, if the player is not, you know, showing up, then like, that's, that's on the player. Like you got to show up and dance when it's time to, to prove yourself and rise to the occasion. You got to have the ability to do that. So I think that's, that's super important for players to, to understand as well. Um, yeah, so it's not all by hiring on a, an advisor doesn't just wave a magic wand and make everything perfect. So there's still work to be done and, you know, time to put into the game. So I think that's important just as well. <clears throat> and, and, and not being drafted isn't the end of the world. And I'll, I'll explain why, like there's a player right now who arguably might be one of the best defensive centerman in the game that doesn't get as much recognition as like your Bergeron Barkov O'Reilly's um but Anthony Sorelli 
is 24 years old. He's won two Stanley Cups. He's in the finals again, potentially for with a potential to win his third. He has had, he won a Memorial Cup in the OHL. He appeared in two Memorial Cups. In the tournament that they did win, he scored both goals, uh, one being in overtime to win it for Oshawa. And he wasn't drafted into the OHL. I don't know if you knew that or not, but he, he played with his buddies in Woodbridge um, into a, up until he got to a point where, you know what, I'm going to try playing AAA. So it, uh, in his minor midget year, so under 16, where he would get drafted, he played on the Mississauga reps, which weren't a very good uh, Toronto team. And he was like a half a point per game player, didn't get drafted. Then the following year, he played uh, under 18 AAA, was closer to like a point per game player. Uh, again, didn't get drafted. It wasn't until his coach, uh, I think he was going into uh, junior and his coach, Joel Washcrock, who was a, an Oshawa scout at the time, he said, you, you got to get to camp like you're good. So he goes to Oshawa's camp, makes a team, ends up like being top rookie scorer, ends up getting drafted by by the Tampa Bay Lightning um, and winning a Memorial Cup, I think, in that year. Uh, I'm pretty sure they won the Memorial Cup in that year. But this is a player that I know his, his offensive numbers aren't that great right now, but like he makes it hard on opposition. Like he he's he's matched up against top teams lines and and he defends so well. He's defensively responsible positionally. Um, he makes teams grind down low and, and the rest of his line is, is similar, right? He's playing with Killorn and, and Hagel. Both guys just rag the puck in the defensive zone or in the offensive zone, force the top line of the opposition to play hard minutes, which are in your own end. And when I was at game five, or sorry, when I was at game six in, in Tampa, I watched, right. Cause you're getting matchups, right. So he's up against Zabin Jad's line and his first, their first shift of, of each period, they played in the offensive zone, like a full minute, like whether they won the draw or lost the draw, somehow it would get in, whether they, they go D to D and chip it out and hunt, hunt the puck and rag it down low. And they're cycling in the offensive zone. Like they're, they're not scoring, right. They haven't been offensively productive, but they're forcing top lines to play in their own end, which is not where the opposition wants their top line to be playing. Right. And just looking at numbers, like in, in that series alone, they were only on the ice for five quality scoring chances against like, you, you know, how you cut up the ice into different zones, right? So you decipher which, you know, the home plate would be a, a high scoring area uh, chance in the whole series. They were only, only on the ice for five against and 23, four. So that's your matchup. You're, you're getting, you're matching up against like Zabinijad, Matthews, Barkov, and they're supposed to be running wild on you. And you're out chant. Well, at least in the last series against the Rangers at even strength, five and five, that line is out chancing Zabinijad. Like he's played, um, Sorelli's played 252 minutes at even strength in the playoffs. 60 of those minutes, so a full hour, he's on the ice with Zabinijad, 53 minutes with Matthews, 26 minutes with Barkov. And in all of that time, he's only been on the ice for six goals against. Like that's pretty, that's wow. pretty impressive, right? That's like for sick. a guy, for a guy who was not drafted into the OHL, right? 
didn't didn't know what he was going to do was going to go play junior and then had someone sort of reach out you know get to camp here with us you know in oshawa and then he makes oshawa ends up being like on the top line scores two goals in the moral cup final to win the game gets drafted by tampa and again he's 24 years old he already has two stanley cups (laughs) you know what i mean like like at what point does it does the conversation turn to be like you know what like, you know, it's, it's easy to probably say, oh, he's on Tampa Bay. That's why. Well, there's a reason why Tampa Bay is good. Like he, he is probably a, a lot larger part than what a lot of people sort of give credit to. Right. Like he, offensively, that line hasn't been producing that well, but I think it's only a matter of time. Like when you're in a series and you're playing against the opposition's top line and you're out chancing them like 23 to five. Right. It's just a, a matter of time. So I, I'm interested to see what what goes on with this. I'm assuming the McKinnon lineup is going to be a, against him. Right. So both of those lines, like if you go look at stats, expected goals for expected goals against both of those lines are like the top in, in the playoffs for both categories, like expected goals for which obviously Sorelli's line hasn't been producing, but their chances are there. And also expected goals against their low, as is uh, McKinnon. So it'll be interesting to see how this uh, series turns out with like the game within the game, because I I think that Sorelli line is like really sneaky good, right? Like if you're if you're allowing six goals at even strength over the the entire playoffs against the top lines, That's like sick. in uh, in three series, yeah. like you're putting your team at a huge advantage. Come you know I mean you're allowing your your offensive guys to go out and play, you know, hopefully easier minutes, not against uh, another line trying to possess the puck, but just the, just the amount of offensive zone time that they like, they, they're controlled entries, whether you call it carrying it over the line or soft chipping it to the corner and being the first on the puck and then starting the cycle uh, are, is so much greater than, than everyone else. It's, but it's almost just like a willingness, you know, they're like, you know what, I'm just going to make this really hard on them. So the first, the first period of, of each game of the of game six their first shift Zabinajad was like a minute or 45 seconds in his own end and then they finally get possession and then it's like okay i gotta dump it in because i'm gassed i'm done right so there there's one minute of uh, or one shift of each period for the top line that they just spent in their own in their own and and on top of it they were getting great chances out of it like i think there was a there's a time where they uh jumped in on like their they found, I think it was Sorelli found the late, uh, I think it might've been Hedman and D-Man. And then he goes back door to Hegel. And obviously New York goalie was a stud as well. It makes a save, but that's that's supposed to be the mismatch where Zavinijaz lines creating the offense. But in theory, they actually were giving up a lot. But it, it'll be interesting to see what this Colorado series is like, because I, I just feel like the, the Sorelli kid is just like, he's humble. He works hard. He's got good skill. He competes like hell. He he's totally okay with being a role player, right? Like he, you know, I know he gets power play time, but he's like, you know what, this, my, my MO is shutting guys down, you know? And yeah. I think if he continues that, he'll have a really successful year. He's 24 years old, man. You know, it's crazy. And think about like every time the jumps out or the other, the other names you mentioned, Matthews, Barkoff, when those guys jump over the boards and you're say you're on that team, you're on Zabanajev's team, like you kind of same thing. Like you expect him to go out there and like give that shift of offense and and momentum, and it's really stifles 
momentum and confidence really you know that's i can say it from an offensive player like that that stuff is like it starts to piss you off you're like you know eventually you could two or three of those and you're like you get frustrated so when you start flustering the skill guys or the productive guys like that's that's when you get that's when those guys like really win you know that's that's the win because now they start doing things risking a little more gambling a little more uh frustration sets in sometimes you get the skill guys to take dumb penalties i mean that stuff just really it gets stifles momentum for the for the other team and you know again like you said it, it, they're not expected to score so to speak like tampa has studs obviously and, and when those guys jump over the boards they they've been producing i think i saw a stat that over the last three years kucherov is is actually up there i don't know what number it was it was like top 10 maybe all time of most points over three seasons of uh playoff hockey which is crazy he's got like 89 points their guys are producing and then you got that you know what it's like like when you got a line like that that's out there buzzing like that gets the boys pumped like you're happy but you want them to score you're pumping you know pulling for them and like in the building like excited. the building can feel that too right like yeah if you look at like killorn Hagel, they're both sort of like hard to play against like you know borderline rat type players right like the, the fans love those guys right yeah like and they get in and they're like cycling or pinning it up on the wall and like like nothing really is being productive as an offensive tactic but like the crowd starts being like they see it they're like Zabinijad's lines on and they're they, they can't even get the puck out of their own end like you know you, it starts to build that at, at least at home ice and probably as well on the bench where you know the other players are are feeding off it and and a lot of it is just hard work right there's a, there's yeah. obviously like skill involved in it but a good majority of it is just sort of like just raw determination where it's like you know what I'm going to like puck placement. And then, like you said, like effort, you know, like play always smart, no risk, yeah. put it somewhere and then out dog somebody like they just kept doing that on those cycle shifts. It just puck placement, hunt, puck placement, hunt chance yeah, in, in these, even in like the start of the game, like even when they're in their D zone, it go, it's, you know, on a breakout, it goes D to D and either center or weak side or strong side. And then it's just flipped out to a guy blasting. It's like, they're not trying to, you know, knife through the neutral zone all sexy it's like you know what we're just gonna get the puck in the other end and go get it you know yeah. and, and 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 i think it weighs on on team so it, it will be a you know i'm gonna be watching that really closely to see that that matchup and obviously being on the road early on it's, it's gonna be tough to get that matchup um bednar is probably gonna do a good job of keeping the mckinnon line away from uh the sorelli line but you know for for an undrafted kid into the ohl 24 yeah. years old he's got two cups like he he's good he's really good like he's like and, and you know when you think of oh tampa who's you know you think of kucherov vashlevsky stamkos point you know you don't think of sorelli but like these are guys that make you win championships right 100 like, it's 100 they're they're the they're really the glue uh you know like you think about for I take it to us, you know, we're not Tampa, but we were the London Knights team of the century. Can't turn that away. But we the Trevor Kells, Drew Larmans, you know, these these guys that were unbelievable glue to the to the puzzle. They were un, unreal. And some of those like like some of their penalty kills, if I can take it again back to our thing, like remember the building going crazy when we were playing against the Mike Richards, they couldn't even get in the zone. You know, Keller and these guys are buzzing around, finishing hits and not letting the other team get their momentum stuff. Like those those guys are actually they are they are super important to the to the pie big ingredient to the pie um their jersey sales aren't going to go through the roof ever 
you know, they might sell a few, but like, like you said, the stars are always going to be the stars, but you know, and the thing is with Sir, um, with Tampa, like their system through Syracuse Cooper kind of brought these guys up. Like that was a development model where they kind of groomed this team over, you know, this was a grooming over, I don't know, you know, call it eight, nine years. The guys were down into even Tyler Johnson grew up or I'd say grow up, but developed down in Syracuse. They came up in those first cup uh, years. So they, they brought this crew together and, and kind of built a culture, which is important. Uh, it's an important piece of it, how they, you know, how the, the funnel, where the funnel leads or where it starts, I guess, is that the right word funnel? Cause the funnel goes down. Should it be funnel? Sure. Yeah. Funnel getting smaller. Sure. Where the funnel goes, <laughs> you know, it's, I think it's important that the, that development models, it's huge. And those guys probably, uh, I can't speak like I know, like I got the insider on it, but like they knew their place, knew what they were being developed and what role they were going to fill into. And then spent those years in the minors to, to get there. Um, I don't know. I think it's really important, but there's, there's Syracuse. I know cause I'm from upstate New York and Syracuse area. Once they came in there, the way that they developed that team and, and took over, we've seen it all. I was there in the early nineties when, or yeah, early nineties when they first came from Vancouver system, we've seen the Syracuse crunch growing up my whole life. So um, Tampa really, created a culture and now they're reaping the benefits from it. The, the other cool story to it as well is like our buddy, Corey Perry, right? Like he's, he's in the cup finals with three different teams, right? Like, I think, I think there was a stat that came out that Ho, him and Hosa were the, the only two that have, have ever done that. Hosa won, won it in his, in his third time appearance. Right. But to be, you know, just to think about that, like to be in the finals with three separate teams, like I know, I know he, from being in Tampa and around the players, like as little as I was, you can really tell like the respect level is like massive for, for Corey, right? Like the guys just respect everything he does and says, like, it's almost like a, a uh, an acting as a, a playing, a player coach, right? Like yeah. his experience and, and the high pressure situations he's been in, um, you know, to be able to lean on a player like that. And, and this is a guy who probably played, he played fourth line all year, right? And then, and then got an opportunity more so in the playoffs, which I think is why they signed him is for the playoffs. And at one point he was leading the team in goals. Right. And, and he's not bitching about ice time or he's like, you know what, I, I, this is my role. Like I'm getting older and you know, I can help younger guys in, in different situations and maybe be a calming influence on, on the team, which I think they're a decently calm team to begin with, but then I'll, and then rise to the occasion. Like him and Pat Maroon have, I think, eight goals between them. And it's not like they're playing a boatload of minutes, right? It's just these guys seem to elevate their game in, in key situations. And and I, I think that was a, a really good pickup for, for Tampa. Like it, I think he was a big part of, of their second series uh, win was Corey's production, right? When you when they lost point. But no, it was, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy for him. Hopefully uh, things turn out well for him. Uh, maybe we'll fly in from Latvia and get to the cup party if there is one, but, <laughs> but if, cool. if I'm invited, I don't know. I still got to wait for Patty's invite if they do in it, but yeah, that's funny. Yeah, no, I think that's, it's been amazing to to see that uh, pairs over the last three years. And, and you know, the thing is too, is like that stuff doesn't, you doesn't always turn out, you know, like a team's like, Oh, we'll grab that guy. And hopefully he helps us in the, in the stretch. And then over the last three years, he's been there in the stretch and it been a big factor for these teams. So like, it's, it's crazy. Uh, I think he's, his understanding of the game is, is second to none. His competitiveness is second to none. 
and the way he understands how to score goals is is second to none. I, I love the way that this guy attacks the net. I mean, ever since junior, he used to do a lot different in junior. Like he used to toe drag everybody and, you know, worm his way around guys. I remember poor Boris Flavik. He's, he's on a bunch of posters and after pairs got done with him, but you know, now it's, it's really pairs is, is, is leaning on his knowledge of the net and knowledge of goal scoring to, to be effective and score goals. You know, the game's changed a lot, but when it comes around that sphere around the net, he's smarter than anybody in the game at doing it. And, you know, the one thing I got a clip today I wanted to show and how pairs uses his reach and how he understands the position of the goalie and the faces of the net and being a big guy, he's, he's six, three, got a big lengthy reach. He uses it to the max and he understands it very well and uses that deception to score goals. And, you know, what I see a lot of is that, you know, for him, the goalies get set to his body, but his arms are, and his reach are so far out, like so much off his body that that's hard for goalies to pick up on hard to read and his release. Like you see, if you see him shoot in the summertime, and you, you skate with him. And I, I, we, I play with him and skate with him in the summertime. Like his shot is not overwhelming. You get with some guys in the summertime and they start stepping on the puck and you're like, holy shit. Like that guy can piss on the puck. His shot is not, is not like that at all. It's just really deceptive and very accurate. And the thing is that he understands very properly into a T almost is his reach and his range. And what I truly believe is that Paris sees the puck. He sees the net through the puck's eyes. I speak about it all the time. He sees it differently. He understands where the puck is, how long his reach is, and what that, you know, effect is on the goaltender. And I think that's something that really uh, that players can learn from a lot in understanding how to score goals. You don't need a missile. You don't have to have a rocket. You know, you just have to understand how to manipulate goaltenders. And if you're a bigger guy, you're using your reach and your range and what that means and how to read a goaltender. You know, I think Corey does that very well, understands the goalie's positioning, very well. He understands what, what one step to the right does to the goalie. Again, using his reach and his range. Um, that's something really important. He scored, I don't know, what's his totals? He's up in the 400s in his career in goals. So it's, it's a lot of goals. He clearly knows how to do it well. So if you're a young player, I think this is a great great player to, to study, not only because we're buds and we won a championship, but also like he's an elite goal scorer. And he does it in many different ways. You know, net front, he's very, he's always there. You see him during these series. He's constantly passed around the crease. I talked about that on Merrick's show and why he's so effective. And you wrapping pucks around, attacking the net at the right times. And, um, you know, from the clip you'll see today is using his range, using his reach. And again, you see the shot. It's not a missile. It's just about using the range and, and catching the goalie off guard. So the, the other thing he's, the other thing Corey's really good at is, is, pissing off teammates right we made a post the other uh the other day about the shit that he does to to opposition like there's a there's a clip where he's just holding on to Hosa's stick for like an absurdly long period of time until Hosa sort of just turns around and looks at him is like let's go of his own stick he's like sure man you can have it and then when Hosa goes to grab it again Corey just like lets it go <laughs> under the under the ice and then and then like the I think the one um it's Alexander Seven, I think, on on Carolina who's sitting on the bench and Corey skates by and just scoops his stick on, yeah. on the fly. Or or one that I thought was really interesting was a, a TV timeout. A lot of guys like their gloves really dry, so they'll have multiple pairs of gloves, right? So the trainers will run back and and grab their their set that's on the dryer and then bring it out and give it to them, put it on the bench or whatever, and then take their wet set back to dry them. And, and there's a clip with 
uh, Jeff Carter or Corey sees it happening and then just like squirts water into his newly dry glove. But like, yeah. this is all shit that, that he's doing not because the cameras are on him. He's just like, this is just what he does to get under people's skin. Right. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. like, and he's so, and he's so good at it. Right. But um, it'll be into, this will be a great series. Like I, uh, our friends at uh, points, Bet Canada uh, should, should be feeling quite a bit of uh, money this uh, this series, but for, for me, I, I think with a layover, uh, that, that Colorado's having, sometimes it's good to have that rest, but sometimes it's not like, I think we saw that early in the, in the New York, uh, Tampa series, Tampa had obviously swept, uh, Florida and, and had a nice break where, uh, the Rangers came off of uh, a game seven victory and sort of just kept going. And they sort of gave it to, to Tampa the first couple games uh, first couple periods anyways, for sure, probably five periods worth of, of hockey was all New York. Uh, and they end up leaving, uh, New York with a two, nothing, uh, series lead. But I, I think Tampa going into Colorado, I think Colorado will be, I think the series is going to be really close. And, and, and I just feel that game one, I am going to give, uh, Tampa the, the edge and I'm going to take them, uh, minus one and a half. So they're going to win. Uh, by two goals. Uh, but again, it's going to be a really close series. Obviously I'm, I'm betting a little bit with my heart here and in, in hoping that Tampa wins, but I truly think that uh, it will be a little difficult coming off of that long of a layoff to, to jump into the, the heart of things again. Yeah. I think campers coming back as well. So he's had a little break, um, been out for a bit. So I think that's the, I think that's the, the difference maker uh, Vasilevsky, you know, the kind of very well matched team, Firepower, firepower on the on the uh, forwards, and then you got your back end. I mean, McCarr is special. There's no one really like that. I mean, Hedman can produce and does produce, but McCarr is a different different animal. But um, the goaltending, I think, yeah, Tampa's got the edge, and that that's huge in the playoffs. So I think in game one, especially him coming off that break, uh, they're already trying to downplay it. I saw it in the article, like yeah, we're gonna have to have some patience with him. You know, coming off a little bit of a layoff. Um, he might be rusty for a period or two. So you're rusty for a period or two on Tampa, like good luck, <laughs> you know, or we could see fireworks. We could see, a, you know, a Calgary Edmonton sort of series, like a, a nine, six in the first game. Uh, I, I think either way, I think it's going to be a good series. I think, um, I, like I said, I think the, the, the layoff, the layoffs do help. I know a lot of teams play with injuries and I think both teams have injuries still, uh, Colorado's trying to overcome a few of them, but. Uh, I just, I, I feel like game one, uh, Tampa will, will come out, uh, with a little bit more experience and, um, and having a shorter layoff, just be, you know, more in game pace, yeah. I guess. I do think that the series is going to be extremely close, uh, and will be great hockey. I think there's a lot of offense. There's a lot of speed skill. Uh, there's a lot of games within the game. Um, and again, Trumpy was good, uh, hooking up with you again for, for the week, I'm going to head off to Montreal, catch some Formula One. Uh, follow us on YouTube, Shrimp and Savret Show. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Rob at Rob Shrimp or at Danny Savret or at the Shrimp and Savret Show. Thanks very much. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Shrimp and Savret Show. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nation Network YouTube channel to watch all of our video breakdowns. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 